Welcome to Breaker Culture Weekly. The guys from BreakerCulture.com help pull back the curtains and give you insight into the hobby. Sit back and enjoy interviews, product breakdowns, and hobby analysis so you can get your edge in the marketplace. And now, to the show. did it i can't believe it episode 50 welcome to breaker culture weekly uh we we worked hard the last year to get to this point and i don't think we had this on our calendars as a getting episode 50 but we did it and we're super excited probably doesn't mean as much to you as it does to us but to get to the half a century mark means a ton and i'm super glad that today i get to enjoy this moment with shani pellet he's back in the uh recording room virtual recording room with us and hopefully, crossing my fingers, be back in more of a consistent uh, weekly podcast with Shani again. He's gone through a lot, guys, in the last three months. He's a strong, strong dude, and he's come out of it and uh, was over in Israel for a while. We'll talk about that here in a minute. But uh, but yeah, he's here, and we're going we're gonna to talk about all kinds of things. We, uh, we really bump around to different subjects today, and it's, it's kind of the intent. We cover some of the things that he's been through, but we also talk about some some sports car related stuff with eBay breaks and some Twitter social media things that are kind of bothering him and I. And then we dig into uh, a new segment that we call uh, Headline Hopper, where we just talk about the six ESPN headlines, give our quick reactions, and just explore those a little bit. So anyway, really glad to have you here today. I do apologize for being away a couple weeks. Uh, spring break and vacation made it really difficult, and frankly, I just wanted to take a break and get refreshed. So uh, we're back in in the routine and have a, a lot of good things lined up for you the next couple of weeks. Look forward to having um, the Prestige Worldwide guys and hearing their story here in a couple of weeks, and um, and then also breaking down the bracket March Madness, best time of the year. Oh, I can't wait Sunday night. Hopefully, we'll have that out to you. We'll give uh, we'll give our thoughts and I spent a lot of time on college basketball, so I feel like I can give the most educated opinions on that particular sport. Uh, and then maybe baseball. So hopefully you get a little bit of something from it. But uh, other than that, enjoy the show. Again, Shani, really, really good to have you back. Look forward to talking to you again really, really soon. Enjoy the show. Shani Pellid, episode 50. So good to have you back. Just in time. Just in time. You came all the way back from Israel for this. I did. (laughs) <laughs> welcome and, back and happy to do so oh my gosh yeah gosh what has it been 10 episodes it. i missed you say uh a little less than 10 i okay. think but it has i mean look it's been it's been too long three months it's been three months it's been over three months yeah yeah it's it's way too long and it, i agree i've missed you too it's really good to have you back yeah i mean obviously i wish it nothing that helped me out had happened um, I wish I could change history, obviously, but such is life, I, I guess they say. That's right. That's right. Well, and, uh, more importantly, here we are. It's episode 50. I think you, more than anybody, deserve a huge congratulations. Yeah. I think it's a milestone, one of hopefully many to come. Yeah. I hope so, too. It's been uh, it's been good. You've seen, you've seen the comments, a lot of them directed at both of us for the uh consistency it's been good 
It's been really good. I'm, I'm glad we got to this point. There's been some really good interviews, some really good people in the hobby that we got to talk to. That's the best part about it. And obviously, you and I get to sit back and be ourselves for an hour. It's, exactly. It's hard to complain about that. No but, doubt. It's been a, a really amazing experience. And uh, I think some of the things we talk about today are going to kind of shed some light on that. Nothing in particular that, you know, is an anniversary special topic or anything like that. But that's fine. I think, uh, you know, making the comment is enough. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I'm glad your dog's making an appearance in this episode because I just turned and made a stare and pointed <laughs> at him and he gets it. It's the actually it's the older dog. I think I might have told you I came I came back from Israel mm-hmm. to a second dog. Amazing. My wife went out with the boys, my two kids, and got a second dog for the house. It's something she's talked about for a little while. And I think having allowed me to go to Israel gave her a sense of, uh, you know, permission, if you will <laughs> say, I know Shani might not be too happy to come home to this, but I just let him go to Israel for almost two weeks. So I'm doing it. She did send me a couple of pictures while I was gone. She prepared say, you. Hey, what do you think? And I was like, oh, God, that dog looks really big. <laughs> and uh, his name is Murray. So we have Max and Murray, like two old Jewish men in the barbershop. That's awesome. Murray is – we, we know at least that he's half husky because he's got that pale blue eye that's just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. But what he's mixed with is pretty hard to know. He doesn't have that big fluffy tail or long hair. It's not that his hair is short. But it's not that long, flowy hair like most huskies have. He's not as tall as a husky either. So we know it's probably some type of shorter terrier that he's mixed with. So many mutts that you sit, that you can save from a pound are mixed with a pit bull. I mean, you go to any pound, I think, probably in the country, and more than half of the dogs there are pit bulls. For obvious reasons, I think there's a lot of fear around them. Um, which right. is somewhat unfounded and un- unfortunate for that breed. Sure. Uh, they have to be trained to be bad and scary. But uh, that said, he, he's a very sweet, loving dog. And uh, Max has a friend now, which Max really needed because he wasn't really socialized very well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's that's enough about my dogs. Well, well it's, the funny thing about dogs you get from oh, dogs in general is you can really just say anything like you can say the breed is a schnitzer poodle or it's it's a it's a uh terrier mixed with the collie with a little bit of retriever and it's like people are okay whatever cool oh really oh that's nice it doesn't really it doesn't matter what you say people have no choice but to believe you so you need to come up with a creative name for your dog it's funny creative yeah, breed. It's... <laughs> that's good so so max we call a bojack Boston Terrier mixed with Jack Russell. It's a great kind of mixed name, exactly as you're putting it. So I think you're right. We can come up with something creative to go along with Husky. Um, we haven't come up with it yet, but uh, it is a good idea. You, yeah. can, you can really say anything. You're absolutely right. Totally. Yeah. And if it catches on, then you can start breeding your dog and all of a sudden – yeah, make some money. Make some money out of it. <laughs> uh, what, what people don't know, and this is the funniest thing about your dog story, is that your wife had, uh, I guess, enough wherewithal to bring Max around with you, around with her, as she was going and finding the dog at a pound. 
And if I if I remember correctly, she would walk up to dogs and whatever dog Max would get along with the best is the one that she would she would consider. I mean, it's true and <laughs> it was so necessary. We we don't know what happened to Max when he was a puppy before we got him. Um there's no question his demeanor has changed to suit our family. But there are still some things that come out that make us kind of shake our heads and wonder, this dog must have gone through some pretty torturous times before he came to our house. And it's, it's sad to see that and it's sad to realize that. But the biggest thing that he does still is when he's out there on a walk and he is confronted with another dog, he's downright vicious. We have to hold him back and he's, he's got that loud and vicious bark that would scare even the most dog lover out there that's walking their dog. And we've scared, I mean, we've scared other dog walkers and other dog owners to the point where they've like known now to just cross the street when they see us coming with Max. Um, and it's sad. We, we know that it's not his fault. But, you know, people out there don't have an experience with a particular dog that scares them they automatically assume the worst. So sure. it was 100% necessary for Jenny to take Max around and see which other dogs he could get along with because uh, it's just not something he's been able to do. Now, I think we've learned something from this experience in that forcing Max to get used to the idea of having a brother um, has gotten him to the point with Murray where he's good but he's still just as vicious on a walk when he's confronted with another dog. <laughs> so it's, it's amazing. Cause if you came to my house right now, he would love on you and you would fall in love with him. Both of them really, but Max is really just such a sweet dog. But when you take him out of, and he, he sees another dog, forget about it. You've got to have a hold on him like a vice grip. Wow. So yeah, it's interesting, and it's it's. There's even something humorous about it. But if she hadn't done that, we could have brought a dog home that was nothing more than a chew toy, <laughs> which so, would have been really fun to talk about as well. So uh, yeah, <laughs> kind of. yeah, right. Uh, nice. Well, we we briefly touched on this i this this idea of you traveling to Israel. Uh, you were there for two weeks. Give give us the highs and the lows of the trip real quick, and then we can we can get into some of the sports card stuff. That's less relevant. So I think most folks know at this point that my mother passed and mm -hmm. my dad, who is from Israel, and um, he's the only one in his family that has left Israel. Everyone on my father's side of the family is still there. Um, he immediately, kind of just a few days after she passed, started talking about wanting to go see his family. It's also where my mother and father met, where they got married where they spent the first couple years of life together before moving to the States and to Pittsburgh, where my mother is originally from. And uh, we kind of talked to siblings as to, you know, whether or not any of us could go because we'd prefer to have someone travel with my father and him not have to be alone, especially for that long 10 hour flight. So I had the time and a little bit more of a financial wherewithal to do it. So I, I threw my name in the hat pretty quickly. And like I, we had already kind of talked about how Jenny was so supportive and nice to mm -hmm. take control of the house and everything that means to let me go away for that long. Yeah. We, we did realize that's the longest period of time we've been apart 
in that type of capacity. Hmm. Um, yeah, we've taken weekends alone here and there with friends or whatever, but never almost two weeks apart. Mm -hmm. So, and that's in almost 17 years of marriage plus a few years of dating before that. So nice. it's a long time. So anyway, um, the highlights were some of the obvious things that people might think about being that Israel is kind of home for sure for my father and even some, to some degree for me, um, all that family that we really don't get to see very often. It's a beautiful country. Obviously there's an amazing amount of history and no matter how many times I've gone to see some of those sites, like the old city in Jerusalem, it never gets old. And it's always, I kind of call it the land of epiphany where at some moment or another, and usually more often, like at least once a day, you have some just grand epiphany about life and just the world in general. And so it's just an amazing, beautiful place in that respect. And I think a lot of people probably from the media have some, you know, some misconceptions about it Sure. because of the terrorism and the conflict. And I'm not going to disguise that and say that yeah. it doesn't exist, but what also exists is the beauty and the history. Um, I was lucky. Pittsburgh was very cold at the time that I left and it was pretty seasonably warm when I was there. And my family lives in a city called Afula, which is in the north. Not way, way north, like Lebanon and Syria border north, a little south of that. Haifa is one of the biggest cities in Israel. It's the port city on the Mediterranean. It's just south of that. And Afula happens to be in what they refer to as the Emek Valley, the uh, one of the most fertile areas of Israel where a lot of farming takes place. So that area happens to be very arid and hot. Um, so I had a nice respite from the cold winter and had some shorts and t-shirt weather to enjoy for a couple of weeks, which was obviously just awesome. Nice. And, uh, yeah, um, it was just, and you know, the, the lows, it's hard to call it a low, but it was a low in respect to, you know, it was obviously a sad experience to walk around with my father where he grew up and him have the opportunity to point out to me like, Hey, this is where your mother and I met. And this is where we went on our first date. And this is where we used to hang out and talk. And Hey, that's what I was. That was our first apartment right there. And this is where we got married. Some of those things I had known and seen as a child, but I hadn't done with my dad in a very long time. And really the first time I had ever done that was with my mom there as well. Hmm. So this was a, an opportunity to do it with him in grief and without my mom there, obviously. So there was something obviously very special about that. Again, I, I, I hesitate to call it a low, but it definitely wasn't a high sure. in a, 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 you know, in a happy, you know, giddy sense. It was introspective and part of a grieving process that I think I was fortunate to experience. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously it was heavy. I can't imagine that, uh, sounds yeah. like an incredible experience. So we, I know <laughs> at one point you and I talked about actually recording the podcast from Israel and, uh, better judgment in my, <laughs> my soul was, uh, let's, let's not do that. <laughs> let's not do that to Shani. It's a terrible idea. Yeah, I, right I thought time. about you and I thought about the podcast and I thought, <laughs> you know, first of all, the time difference in and of itself would have been rough. If there's an eight hour time difference between where I was in KC, 
Um, so that would have been hard to manage. Yeah. I could have done it at like three in the morning to accommodate you. <laughs> but uh, Not yeah, worth it. aside from that, it was obviously a time that I was in a different frame of mind. And yeah. I will say this. One thing that I, I probably would have done if we had done a podcast is slip into Hebrew, which would have been maybe a little entertaining, but also very confusing. Uh, yeah. You and our audience. <laughs> I wasn't speaking Hebrew 100% of the time because my father obviously speaks English and I have friends there that, and family members that, that, that do speak English, even though it may be broken. I was very proud of myself, though, because language, like anything, it's a perishable skill. If you're not using it, you're losing it. And I haven't really been in a situation where I've had to speak Hebrew on a regular basis and, and do so in a fluent way for quite some time, a long time. And it took me a few days, but after a few days, I found myself having conversations that were free-flowing. And, nice. and even a few people saying, man, your Hebrew is still really good. I can't believe it. I'm like, no, neither can I, quite honestly. <laughs> <laughs> so well, I was pretty happy about that. I am happy to throw a poll out there and see if there's enough of a Hebrew-speaking population listening <laughs> audience for us to do a second parallel podcast all in Hebrew. <laughs> Um, and you know what? If, if there's enough of a Mandarin speaking, I, I, I'm willing to blow off the dust of my Mandarin and see if I can speak it well enough again. <laughs> were you at a point with Mandarin where you were able to speak fluently? Um, yeah, I was at a point where I could have a conversation on the street. Um, wow. That's speaking cool. about cards and like intricacies of, you know, business. The, the business. It's, it's a little more difficult, right? Um, oh, but, no question. There's a lot of technical stuff you might not know. And I'm sure. in the same boat. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it, it is. It's it's pretty refreshing when you have a conversation. And you think, "Wow, I just had that conversation." That's really impressive. Yeah. No, it's that. definitely knowing a second language is a skill to be proud of. There's no question about that. I think most of the world outside of the U.S. has that totally. more so than anything because so much of their media is in English. That just That's growing up and watching Friends and Seinfeld and MTV or whatever, they right. just absorb it whereas we don't really have that benefit other than maybe some parts of our country where they might learn spanish by osmosis sure but even that is not really to the level that we're talking about where people know english around the world yep um so yeah we're we're a pretty singular language country when it comes down to it and it's it's an unfortunate thing because knowing a second language is such a great skill and i have to say I wish I knew Mandarin. I mean, I, I'm proud to know Hebrew, but Mandarin is going to be so much more useful for anybody that takes the time to learn it in the future. Yeah, maybe. Maybe um, Japanese would be useful in the sports car world. That's for sure. No doubt. Uh, but wh while we're chatting here, I got a question coming in from Card Hustler 413 uh, looks like. Uh, he's curious. Uh Targets, Walmart, sports card stores in Israel. What did you come up with? <laughs> <laughs> I have to say it's an unfortunate reality that it's a pretty it, – it's almost non-existent. Um, and when I say almost, it, 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 there are collectors who pretty much only have an outlet for their interest in cards through eBay <clears throat> and the like, you know, whatever they might want to buy as far as sealed wax via the internet, maybe not eBay, um, but eBay for singles and whatever, uh, and forums. But other than that, I looked 
and I would say I even looked pretty hard and there wasn't a singular outlet for me to buy anything. Um, there is no target. There are no Walmarts. Um, it just doesn't exist. They have their own versions of stores like that, but no card aisle next to the registers. <laughs> um, it just doesn't exist. Now I will say there's a, there's a, a niche for Israeli athletes and depending on who you talk to, basketball at one point kind of surpassed soccer as the national sport, but soccer is really the national sport. Um, it's just that the basketball team, Maccabi Tel Aviv, has been far more successful than any singular soccer team in the country. Right. So that's why there's even a little bit of teetering between the two. So you have a couple of Israeli athletes who have made it big. Um, outside of Israel. Omri Kaspi still plays in the NBA and has for many years now. So his stuff is pretty much the only, um, you know, real, you know, and there, there, there's only Omri Kaspi stuff to speak of when it comes to basketball products. Uh, there's no other Israeli um, that, that's really ever been on a card. Uh there are some baseball players, American Jewish baseball players that played for Israel in the World Baseball Classic. Um, and, and their stuff has become much more popular. Uh, but yeah, other than that, you've got a bunch of just diehard NBA fans. Right. That's what but, I got to figure too. I feel like that in, in, in most of the – I feel like most countries nowadays – it's the NBA players that drive the most fascination and interest. Yeah. There's the random soccer player that has enough prestige to, for people to care, but mostly it's basketball players. Yeah. And for Israel, I think maybe two or three soccer mm -hmm. players have made it big, and that's really about it. Yep. Um, but NBA, and, and not just Israelis playing basketball and potentially making it to a larger stage in Europe or the NBA, but also NBA-level talent coming and playing in Israel. And that may be a surprise for some folks out there, but every international team that plays in the EuroLeague has an allowance of two foreign-born players. And all of these teams throughout all of these European and Asian countries manipulate that. They'll have two foreign-born players, and then they'll naturalize somebody, giving them citizenship to the country who really has no business having citizenship otherwise, just so that they, right. they, that player doesn't count against their allotment. Um, but there are players of the college ranks over the years that if anyone pays close enough attention to like the better college players that don't make the NBA, that are all over the EuroLeague, including Israel. And even Tom Chambers, who was an NBA all-star for many years and dunk champion, at the end of his career came and played in Israel in the mid-90s. Hmm. Um, there, there are some big names that would surprise a lot of people who have played at one point or another in Israel. And then even some guys who played in Israel to start their career or in Euro, wherever, and then came back to the NBA. You may remember Candace Parker's brother, Anthony Parker, that played mm -hmm. for Cleveland. Yeah. He played in Israel for several years and won a EuroLeague championship with them, and that's why he ended up, when he came to the NBA, decided to wear number 18. 18 has a – it's a number of significance in the Israeli culture and Judaism. So he wore that as his number 
once he came to the NBA, kind of as a, as a shout out to his fans back in Israel. That's cool. Um, and so he's still one of the more popular guys in Israel, even though his career is pretty much over. And there are a number of guys like that who have spent some time in Israel and then came back. You actually, I don't know if I ever told you this story, but when I was living there in the mid-90s as a student, I was not necessarily a fan of the team in Jerusalem, but that's where I lived, so I went to those games. And during that year, they brought a player over from the States who had had a couple of stints, 10-day contract kind of stints in the NBA and just wasn't sticking with the team. So he decided, oh, I'm just going to play internationally and make a career out of it and travel the world via basketball. That guy was a point guard, formerly of the Kansas Jayhawks, named Adonis Jordan. Hmm. Do you remember him? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, yeah. He and I actually became pretty good friends. We keep in touch to this day. Uh, I was his sole English-speaking friend <laughs> while he was in Israel. I was his conduit to, you know, basically just getting through Israel and Hebrew culture when he needed some help outside of just the basketball he was playing and the team that he was on. I got a pretty cool experience getting kind of backstage access to the professional league in Israel that couple of years through Adonis and uh, had, had a lot of fun together. Traveled Israel together. I was kind of his tour guide as well. and Yeah, had a good time. I liked Adonis when he played at Kansas with a pretty good team just after the Danny Manning championship year. Although they lost to Duke and UNLV. Exactly. We're, we're, we're done talking about KU. I cannot do it on this podcast. As a wait, Mizzou, wait, as a did Mizzou. I make a mistake here? You're a Mizzou guy. I kind of, I don't know how I had that brain fart just now. You're a big Mizzou fan. Yeah, and look, Mizzou plays here in a couple hours against Auburn in the SEC tournament. Oh, okay. uh, this is, uh, this is inappropriate. This so is wait, does slander. that mean you hate KU? Oh my gosh. I mean, look, I, I, have fam- I, I have family that's KU fans, so I, I respect okay. KU fans, and it's not like that, you know. But yeah. Do we uh do we have a distaste for KU in this house? One billion percent. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I never I really never thought of it. Obviously I knew you were a Mizzou fan. We oh, talked yeah. about Michael Porter Jr. all year. But it, it never clicked that that might mean that you're not a KU fan. But, mm. So my bad. It's all good. <laughs> I'll forgive you. Well, with that, let's let's take a quick break and uh let's come back and I'll I'll see if you can redeem yourself and talk about some sports. Stories. <laughs> <All> right, <laughs> Does that sound good? good? All right. All right. So look, uh, Shani, you break a lot on eBay. I break a lot. On, well, I don't break. We buy breaks on eBay, uh, which is a great thing. We've interviewed different eBay breakers over the course of the last 50 episodes. You ever broken with Prestige Worldwide? Uh, many times, actually. Okay, cool. Well, Prestige Worldwide's the newest member to the Breaker Culture team. Thank you guys so much. Um you guys need to go take some time and go find PWW cards underscore breaks or just go to Google, type Prestige Worldwide Sports Cards or just go to pwwcards.com and check them out. Why should they go break with these guys, Shani? Give, give, me, give me a reason. And by the way, this is totally off the cuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's a couple of things. One is they kind of have their gig down. So you can expect to have a turnaround time where you get your cards pretty darn quickly. Uh, that's not always the case whether you're breaking with somebody else on eBay or a website-based breaker. Uh, and then the other thing is it's minor in my opinion, but it's a nice 
additional kind of thing that if you go hitless, you get a nice little hobby pack. And look, base hobby pack is a base hobby pack, but it can turn into something where you get a hit and while you're licking your wounds because you just got a package without anything from the team that you bought, <laughs> you still have something else to open and enjoy. And if you actually do hit something, whether you like to keep it or throw it up on eBay and reduce your losses that way even more so, you know, it's, it's better than nothing. That's for damn sure. That's exactly right. And I like how we transition from your dog Max to licking your wounds. You just can't stop talking about animal references here. This is really good. But with that being said, no prestige worldwide. They're going to be on an interview later this week. Uh, so you'll, you'll hear that interview next week. Um, but yeah, guys, lightning fast shipping, really good job packaging. Uh, they have tons of options for you and they do have that hitless policy, which not a lot of people do on eBay. So check them out. PWW cards underscore breaks on eBay. Thank you. Prestige. We appreciate you. See ya. All right, so we're back. Uh, we're back. We're back. You know, we, we were kind of talking offline real quickly about breaking and kind of the the trend of more eBay breakers than really both of us expected. What do you think I, is the reasoning behind that? I think it's very deeply connected to a couple of years deeply connected. of very – What's that? Deeply connected. I just I like when you said that. It was really touching. <laughs> <laughs> to a couple of years in a row of some very good rookie classes that has made the hobby very lucrative. Hmm. And I think a lot of these breakers are maybe a little bit late to the party and maybe realizing that. But as long as there are decent rookie years, rookie classes, I should say, um, and they're selective about the products that they decide to jump into, they may be able to survive. Who knows? I have to say, I have noticed, this is if anyone's interested and they feel like trying to kind of test this theory, it's not so much of a theory, but um, work with me here. Just jump on eBay, do more of a general search of you know basketball group breaks or football group breaks. Listed by ending soonest, you'll see, you know, all of those football breaks that are happening. And you can literally just click on them, scroll down to seller and see who the breaker is and see how many breakers you find on any given night that have less than 100 feedback. It's pretty eye opening. There's a lot of folks out there just jumping in. Um, I'm sure some of these folks have experience, um, whether it's as a breaker previously with a different outfit or as a hobby shop owner that's trying to branch out and create a new revenue stream or whatever it might be. I'm sure a good number of them have no experience and are just trying to give it a shot. Um, I'm willing to admit openly that it does make me a little nervous. But with the PayPal and eBay protections that exist, right, it doesn't stop me from jumping in on a break and giving everybody at least a shot. Sure. Not that I'm out there seeking every single breaker and saying I'm going to give every single breaker a shot and going out of my way to join their breaks. But if it happens to be a break that I followed, the auction's ending and it's at a price that I'm comfortable with, it doesn't stop me. The only thing that will stop me is 
I've done it once and I've had a bad experience. I'm right. probably not coming back. Yeah, exactly. Well, it, there is no shortage, and I've mentioned this many, many times before, uh, of breakers shooting me an email or just throwing something on Twitter and tagging us and saying, hey, what would you recommend? And I mean, a lot, there's lots of there's lots of intel you can gather just by listening to the interviews of these veteran breakers in the industry and how they got started. But if you're getting started with group breaking today, there is no better way than to start on eBay and to build your customer base. You're guaranteed to have visibility. You yeah. can't say that. If you create a website now and, and you even try to pay money for you know, Google SEO or you sit on Breakers TV all day, like there's, there's just no guarantee and you're, you're wasting your time. You're, at least at eBay, you're, you're guaranteed to get an audience. People, it doesn't matter how new you are. People are still going to pay a certain price. You're going to get a little less than the big guys. But a new guy is still going to get a good price for a product, for a good product, and for a good team. And you have an opportunity to go out and impress. It's it's hard to find that in any other industry. Like that's a that's a pretty yeah, yeah. good opportunity yeah. if you're an interested new group breaker. Yeah. And look, the reality is, if you jump on there today as a new breaker to fill up a, a relevant product, if you're if you're throwing up. 2015 Donruss baseball, well, you're going to take it. It's going to be bad. Yeah. It's going to end <laughs> not so good. If you're throwing up a relevant, relatively new release and one that you know has at least some popularity, it's, it's a no brainer. Now, whether or not you make money or make as much money as you were hoping to is not something that we're saying is a guarantee. But I'd be hard pressed to say that you're going to lose a ton, um, especially if you're just trying to give it a shot and see where you can take it. But you're absolutely right. I don't know where else in this industry you can just throw it out there and start to have success relatively quickly. Yeah. G- guaranteed buyers every single time. Like, I mean, and if you, and if yeah. you do a good job and, I don't know. I, I don't know how to say this without sounding like a snob, like a breaker snob, but it, it does shock me when I'm going to break with a new breaker and their level of knowledge about either the product or the sport is relatively low. You really should stick to something that you can at least fake it till you make it on. When you're mispronouncing, yeah, yeah. When you're mispronouncing so many names, right? Exactly. Um, so many names, and and you flat out don't know who some of the top rookies are that you're pulling. It's just kind of shocking. Um, and even though that's not necessarily bad service from a traditional perspective, to me that is bad service, and that is going to turn me off. Agreed. I'm sure there are some other folks out there that think the same way. So it's just something to consider. If you're a big football fan, do football. Yep. That's exactly it. Yeah. I mean, it, and we totally did not intend to talk about this today. No. But but I, I think it's a good point. From the things that I've learned and just my experience in this is for, for group breakers that are most successful, especially the ones that have started recently and have seen really crazy success. I mean, 702 Breakers is a great example. I and mean, We had them on you know a month ago. Started four years ago, you know, and they're just insanely popular on eBay. Prestige Worldwide is another great example. But 
Um, for guys like that, I mean, they started small. They started, they focused on things they knew they were good at. Like you can't be all things to everyone right out of the gate. And you go excel at a sport that you feel pretty good at talking about. You do that for a couple months. You do it for six months. You build a customer base. You have loyalty. And then you add another sport. And then while that's happening, you build some allocations with your distributor and you start getting more product. You understand how the finances work and how you can control your money. People like the breakers that fail these days go out there and they try to just go, they try to make $100,000 in the first two months. <laughs> it's like right. you're just setting yourself up for failure and there's just no way you're going to succeed. So there's a way to, to make it in this market. There's a ton, a ton of buyers. Like there's more buyers than there are sellers. Still, I believe that. I believe Which is more. unbelievable. It's hard to it's hard to understand that sometimes, but I think you're right. Yeah. So I yeah. will say this: there are also still, with as many new breakers as there are, with as many sheer number of breakers as there are, there are still gaps. Mm-hmm. What do I mean by that? If you just pay close enough attention and see, you know what, this particular night of the week seem to have just far less options for the people that want to buy into breaks. It seems to me like a number of breakers have arbitrarily chosen Tuesday as their kind of, you know how restaurants close on Monday? Yeah. It seems like arbitrarily a bunch of breakers take Tuesdays off. And that may not be the only night that's thin, but if you're a new breaker and you're looking to try to make some impact quickly, Look for things like that. When is the particular time where there might be less breaks? 702 does something. I'm not sure if they do it intentionally or it's just a time zone thing for them and that's and they're breaking when it's convenient for them. But 702's breaks are almost always the auctions that end the latest of the night. They happen to be out west. I'm on the east coast. I'm a night owl. I know if, if all else fails and I haven't won any auctions, 702s are still there. And even though that's really late for me and I may not see the break until the next day on YouTube, that's fine. But I know 702 breaks are going to be there for my late night option if I haven't won anything. Not that that's the only time I look to 702, but you know, I'm just trying to make the point that I imagine I'm not the only one that has kind of niched them in my mind as the late night breakers. Um, but Tuesdays, certain other days of the week, I'm sure are lighter. I do realize why most breakers don't want their auctions ending midday. I get it. It's dangerous, but I've noticed more and more lately that those midday auctions aren't ending for a much lower price as that used to be the case. There's a couple of guys that are going for it. Because there are enough customers out there that want to have a midday break. And they're selling at a decent clip for a decent price. Yeah, especially newer products, like within a couple of weeks of release. Exactly. You're pretty protected. Exactly. That used to, I mean, for a long time, that my, my MO was to look for the breaks that ended at an odd time, especially early in the day, mm-hmm. to get a good deal. I'm not getting those deals mm-hmm. anymore. Interesting. It just does, it's not happening. I have too much competition. Huh. Well, there so, you go. Yeah. 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 Those are, those are interesting things to chew on, especially for those listening that are 
uh, root breakers yourselves. But, uh, you know, yeah. maybe you and I should look into this. Tuesday breaks. Maybe we do a days of our lives, a breaks of our lives yeah. spinoff. We do a, we do daytime breaks <laughs> as the break turns. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, wow. General breakers. Ooh, yeah. I like it. Uh, I just added to that conversation. You did. Um, okay, so here I, I struggle with bringing up this topic. But I, I've told you I wanted to talk about this for a long time, and I'm going to bring yeah. it up. This it's is something a good segue because we were just talking about eBay. Yeah, yeah. So there's something that happens in the social media world that I think people maybe know about, but when I told you about it, you're like, "What? This is really happens?" Uh, well, I was surprised. Yeah. So um, for, for those that don't know, if you, if you go to BreakerCulture.com and you click on a, a link that takes you to eBay. You're going to get – it's an affiliate link. So uh, if, if you go there and you click – and I put this. This is like in the small print on the site. It's, it's something I, I'm not afraid to talk about obviously because we're talking about it. But if you go there and you click and buy something on eBay after you know I, th- I throw it out there, um, I, we would get a small percentage of that. Um, and it, it usually adds up to maybe a couple hundred bucks a month uh, on average over the past couple years um, if, if things go really well. And that that's uh, that's called eBay affiliate revenue, and it's something that's pretty prevalent in our hobby. But something that's really been bothering me the last couple months is the way social media. I feel like folks are kind of being misled with so many big time folks, big time social media presences. Sending out eBay links, making comments about, oh my gosh, you should check this out. This really, this really uh, caught my attention today, and it's just a link to an eBay auction where their followers click it, and all of a sudden they're on eBay buying things. They they happen to buy something, and they generate revenue from the click. And it's it's all a ploy to get folks to click on their eBay link through social media, so that they can get a percentage of what they might buy. Now, in in it in and of itself, I don't think that's wrong. I don't think the idea of affiliate revenue is wrong. I actually think eBay has a policy against doing it on social media, so they're probably going to crack down on it. Um, I didn't realize that. Yeah, Which, they, they do. I'm not sure it makes sense because it only helps eBay. Well, totally, but I think uh, from I don't I don't think they want affiliates. I th- I think they're trying to they're trying to narrow the number of affiliates and they're trying to keep it somewhat on the up and up and doing it through a controlled environment. Um, sure. But regardless, it's just been irking me to see, and, I, and I'm not here to name names. I think in general, I see it a ton. And we, I don't do this ever on social media. On the website, of course, you know, you're on breakerculture.com, you're there. And, I, and we try to do it tastefully. You know, here's the, in a, in a pricing ladder, here's the top 10 people. Here's where you can find their silver pr- prison cards, you know, and we'll take them and we'll, we'll do all that filtering for you. But to send off like a thousand posts over the course of a month, with eBay affiliate links just to, to drive revenue. I just think it's distasteful and it drives me nuts. I think it's misleading too. So I don't, I don't know. What distasteful are your thoughts on and misleading are two things that you can say to, to, to characterize it. I would, I would add as just your average social media user. It's just downright annoying. <laughs> I have limited my social media um, activity to a, a large extent. 
I'm almost non-existent on Facebook. I do a little bit of Twitter. Um, and that's the, that's not even why I'm saying this. That's not what's important. The, the, the two reasons why I've moved away from social media are, I think, the obvious that most people can figure out without me saying it. It's just the degenerative nature of people being mean to other people on social media. I'm sure you can characterize that in a, a smarter language. And the clickbait stuff that this falls under the category of. Um, I think those are the same reasons why most people that complain about social media and what frustrates them about social media would say. Yeah. So if I'm interested in jumping on whatever social media vehicle I've been interested in to whether it's to find news or headlines or what's going on in the hobby, sports world, what have you, the more I have to sift through nonsense to get to something interesting, the longer it takes me to do that, the more likely I'm saying to myself, this just isn't worth it. This just isn't worth it. And it got to the point where that just isn't worth it was ringing in my head enough for me to just say I'm done. And maybe not done entirely. I'm not one of these people that's trying to profess that I've given up eating meat. You know what I mean? I'm still jumping on there once in a while, but it's mm -hmm. nothing, nothing compared to what I might have done in the past. Sure. Um, and that's why. How much sense. you have to sift through. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. And I think there, there is a tasteful way of doing things. Like I, there's nothing wrong with pointing your followers to something you find interesting. Like that, that's the point of all this, right? We're trying to share information and help each other gain insight sure. into things. So that, that, that's important. But when you see a, a pattern of something, when you see someone continuing to throw eBay links and make a comment and try to make it sound really interesting. Uh, and, and by the way, there's an easy way to see if they're posting affiliate links. Um, You'll, you'll typically see the link when you click the eBay link. You'll see like Rover in front of it, and it's just a uh, it's a mask for an affiliate link. But but I think that continued that pattern Rover is what tells you typically. Yeah, there's some other ways to disguise it, but yeah, you'll you'll notice it's not a typical eBay link when you click it. It's usually like ten times as long. <laughs> there's a bunch of code in there that's right. that's calculating right. them. Um, but but yeah, again, I. I don't want to, to knock those guys and everyone wants to get theirs, you know, as they say. But, uh, yeah, I just I think it's important for folks to know that there's a reason why you're getting totally, you know, uh, overwhelmed with this type of activity. It's because they're getting yeah. paid. They're getting paid. Uh, and, and, you know, the th Facebook cracked that code. You know, Facebook realized about a year ago that the algorithms were – were heavily tilted towards advertisers and people that wanted to get in front of folks. And so they switched things up about a year ago. And so the algorithms are basically, they're, they're impossible to crack now. It's really, really hard to get in front of somebody with an advertisement on Facebook unless you know the ins and outs really, really well. Um, so you have to, I mean, when you go to the Facebook feed, you see mostly people in your circle and you see all the ramblings and all that crap that you don't want to see anyway. But <laughs> you see a lot less advertising and all that junk. Twitter, you can't get around it. It's just there. You're going to get thrown. It's going to be thrown in your face every time. Now, with Facebook, my understanding is they kind of had to go that route 
because of potential legislation. Maybe, maybe so. Yeah. Um, it seemed to me that that special interest uh, group on the Hill that was breathing down their neck was, it, it wasn't because of affiliate advertising, right? That's clearly not the case, but sure. that falls under the same umbrella as kind of the, the you know, general guerrilla marketing and sure. Um, you know, just, just things that were happening on Facebook that were misleading. Yep. Well, and it affected, it affected user privacy engagement rates, right. you know, I mean, engagement was going down and they had to fix something. So that's what took. I didn't realize that actually. So you're telling me that they were seeing a dip in engagement because of it as well, which I, I really honestly didn't realize. I thought they were only motivated because of potential legislation against them. Yeah, I, I think it was about a year and a half ago they started to hit that saturation point, and I mean, okay. this this is the ebb and flow, I'm sure, of their business, right? Where I mean, there's just a there's a rampant um, you know increase in something, um, and I think it was a year and a half ago it was this idea of companies found out how to crack the algorithms for advertising, right. and it was just it, it became almost unusable to get on in Facebook and check out the feed because every two posts would be some advertiser that found out how to get in front of you and they had your attention. Um, and so Facebook just, they cut all that out because they realized, man, people aren't using Facebook as long now. And the number of times they're getting on it each week is declining. So they cut that out and Interesting. it's, uh, the trend is kind of back in their, their favor again. So well, the truth is it's kind of good to know, although it took a year and a half for me to realize this. <laughs> Well, you don't you don't use it as much. It sounds like so you you probably didn't even pick up on what's happening. So, well, so I thought I had my ear to the ground about it, and that's why I'm saying I I really was under the impression that it was entirely self serving because of potential legislation and not necessarily to make the user experience better. And to know, I guess it goes hand in hand. I mean, you have to think that right to make the user experience better you know serves the other purpose as well but um it's good to know that if i were to jump back on facebook i wouldn't be so inundated with that kind of stuff is what you're telling me i mean yeah it must be a, it must be a changed experience so but <laughs> i like that i'm not as dependent if you will yeah on social media. Uh, agree. I'm less informed on some level. You could argue, and I would argue, that I'm less informed about things that aren't so important anyway. But I'm not judging. Yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all, right. all right. So that, that, that's all. We're not going to beat that drum anymore. I'm sure – on Twitter and all that stuff, people are going to get frustrated that we're even talking about it, but whatever. Um, it is a relevant issue in the hobby. That's what we're, we're here yeah. for. We'll talk about it. So um, let's transition to something that we're going to start uh, hopefully doing a little bit more often. We're going to, we're going to call this headline hopper. How about that? Headline I, hopper. That sounds all right. All right. Yeah. We just came up with it. So that sounds like a title <laughs> that'll change a few times. Exactly. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> I want to go to ESPN and I'm going to, I'm going to read off, 
Uh, we're going to go through the six headlines. So if you go to ESPN.com on your mobile or even on your desktop, whatever, they always have their top headlines. They have the top six headlines. Um, and that changes by the minute in some cases. To keep this relevant, to kind of put a timestamp, if you will, on the episodes, we're going to go through these. And our goal is to spend, we're going to both react to these headlines, give our perspective, no more than 30 seconds. Um, you can you can quickly dive into it, respond. I'll quickly dive into it, and then we'll move on to the next one. Okay, right, cool? You do it? All right. Headline number one, Zion Williamson to rejoin Duke for the tournament starting tomorrow. They're in my final four, final two, more than likely the winner of my bracket. So it's important for you. You think it's good? Okay. I mean, if, if he's healthy. Yep. You know, not just joining the team in, I don't know, in name alone, and he's only like 70%. But if he's truly healthy, it look, it, it matters to me on a number of levels. My bracket but also my everyone's bracket in everyone's bracket and my enjoyment. He is such a dynamic player. That's so fun to watch. And by the way, we had a conversation about Duke very early on at the beginning of the basketball season. And I knew that RJ Barrett was considered better. Um, you schooled me on why, but I think the NBA world is looking to make Zion the number one pick. I don't think it's yet. I, there was a mock draft that came out, multiple mock drafts in the last couple of weeks, and I think like 95% of them had Zion as number one pick. My response to this is I completely agree with you. They, the ACC tournament needs <laughs> Zion Williamson in this thing. Yeah. I just hope, like you said, if if he's going out there at 80%, that's a Sit down. Big mistake. Like, who cares Huge. about ACC I care tournament? More, yeah, Big totally. dance is where it all matters, and we all want to see him on CBS and TNT next week when we're watching him play the top teams. So so I thought you were going in a different direction in that you were going to say, I'd rather him sit and be a better NBA pro than risking his health. Oh, no. I mean, I, yeah, come on now. Well, I would go so far as to say if he's, if he's in danger of re-injuring anything, I wouldn't play at all. Yeah, well, hopefully he's wearing That's different shoes. millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, no doubt. No doubt. Uh, okay. Headline Next two. One. LSU's Will Wade says he should be allowed to coach. You, you know the situation there. I don't. Okay. Uh, Will Wade, LSU's a men's basketball coach, um, has ba- basically been caught on a wiretap um, talking about how he's paying recruits and how he's worked out deals for players, players that are on his team now, right now. Um, it's been more clear with Will Wade and the evidence around him than any other coach in this investigation that uh, he's he's completely breaking the rules and doing things that uh, aren't aren't allowed. Wow! So they they LSU banned him, and uh, LSU also sitting their top, I guess their number three recruit, but uh, one of the recruits that got caught on this this whole issue as well. So. LSU's Will Wade saying, hey, wait, I should be able to coach. Response to that? No, you shouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. How does that make sense? (laughs) Agreed. This is so dumb. Will Wade is just digging himself a bigger grave. (laughs) If I'm Will Wade, I'm keeping my mouth shut, period. I'm not saying a word to anybody about anything. 
you're obviously your career is over as far as LSU is concerned. Yeah. Salvage something of your career for the future by keeping your mouth shut. Yep. Well, uh, on the, are you talking? Totally agree. On the flip side, I'm actually surprised LSU even made a move. I mean, I feel like colleges in these situations should probably just wait for the NCAA to force their hand. Because I feel like the second they banned Will Wade, they kind of admitted guilt. It's and... a good, interesting point you bring up in that historically we've seen so many schools try to do that self-imposed mm-hmm. uh, thing, if you will. And it almost never works in their favor. The NCAA almost always levies additional punishment yep. on top of whatever they've self-imposed. So what's the point? Have we not learned from years and years of these attempts right. to try to curb the NCAA reaction by self-imposing penalties and punishment? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't the NCAA work. needs to justify itself. Agreed. I, I mean, I don't. We can get into a whole another rabbit hole discussion about which we're not going to that, do. which we're not going to do. It is interesting, but we're not going to do it. Yep. But the point being, it doesn't work. It doesn't don't work. Do it. Agreed. Headline three. Le'Veon Bell's tolls. <laughs> Jets release Isaiah Crowell after one season. I'm not even going to click on this link. I don't even want to know what's happening here. I mean, obviously, it sounds like, and they just signed Le'Veon Bell. So they get rid of Isaiah Crowell. Pretty self-explanatory. Pretty self-explanatory. Um, Is that the right move? I mean, you're not a Le'Veon. Neither of us are Le'Veon. Nobody's a Le'Veon Bell fan. I think he has more fans for his rap career than he does in football these days. <laughs> um, Bell lost a year of salary where he could have had 13, 14 million that the Steelers had get offered is getting paid decently by New York. Although cost of living in the big city is much more significant than it is in Pittsburgh. Um, obviously that might mean and turn into different opportunities for him, but I think he had, even though the Jets have made a significant number of signings that seem to indicate that they're turning a leaf and potentially will be better, it's not going to be better tomorrow. They're not going to be that much better this coming season, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And I, for one, am willing to admit that I'm bitter enough that I kind of want to see him suffer in a losing situation for a little while. The same goes with Antonio Brown. Let them both be happy with their money and suffer on a losing team and see how it feels. Agreed. They left a great situation, in my opinion. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Exactly. Yeah, I I don't have much to say on this. Um, I mean, okay. Of course, of course they're going to release Crowell. Um, It is interesting. They kept him for a season. After what snagging him from the Browns, right? That he he went from the Browns to the Jets. Uh, so Crowell's going to be a yeah. relatively hot commodity for a lot cheap, cheaper. Than... I actually think the Jets are going to suffer the consequences when Bell inevitably either gets injured or gets caught smoking weed again. Oh, exactly. Yeah, and they're going to be pretty annoyed with themselves that they let a guy go that could really be a feature back that he has been for a couple of years. Large running Quietly back contracts never, never work. Yeah, never. They just, they just never work. They just they ruin teams. They're a crutch for for years, and this is going to be. I think it's going to be a great example. But who knows? Le'Veon Bell is going to have a massive chip on his shoulder. So, 
see what it means. We'll have something to prove, and we'll see what happens. Here's yep. the thing: you can have the number one fantasy league producer on your team and not win a game. Yep. There you go. So, agreed. Okay. Have fun with that. Headline four: uh, James Harden shrugs off loss, which is the Warriors last night. Uh, D'Antoni warns of trouble. Oh. Um, and the details there. Harden said, "Hey, look, yeah, because they Warriors snapped a nine-game winning streak yeah, from Houston I saw last that night. Most of that game, yeah. D'Antoni basically says something to the effect of, look, we it's hard to, it's hard to get better and, and learn a lot when you're winning. <laughs> Sometimes it's important to lose, and there's a lot of things we did really, really bad yastirday. We're gonna break down the film, and hopefully, we get better from it. <laughs> okay, that's what a good coach should say. Say, I mean, on one level, I agree." On another level, I wonder if I wonder what he thinks they do poorly, because the thing that I would argue will limit them in the playoffs, which is something that they've relied upon in the regular season, and it's not the first year they've done it. It's this slowdown scheme of letting Harden dribble for twenty seconds, and it's brutal figuring out what to do in that last four seconds of the shot clock. It is so brutal. Is the worst basketball to watch, in my opinion. Yeah. Even if he makes the shot, you you almost root for him to miss the shot. A hundred percent. Yeah. I can't stand it. And and by the way, even worse, as a father, you might agree, I don't know if your kids watched NBA basketball with you yet, but it's terrible. My twelve year old who's playing, he's watching that and I'm thinking to myself, does he think that's smart basketball? <laughs> exactly. Yep. I don't want him thinking. So I tell him, don't go thinking that it's a good idea to dribble around like a clown <laughs> and then throw up some circus shot. And it, if it goes in, you're a genius. Yep. That drives me nuts. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And you know what? Honestly, I could care less about Houston. Because I really don't care about them at all. Yeah. I mean, the Warriors are a better team. They beat them, and the Warriors are still the team to beat. That's what it proved. And Houston's not going to do anything in the playoffs anyway. So proceed. By the way, not to mention, I mean, it's, it's, obviously everyone's talking Houston and Golden State, but there's a lot of other storylines in the West that yeah. make this playoffs really exciting. And we're we're gonna have a we um, need to have an NBA playoff episode just to talk about absolutely. it. Absolutely. Because we yeah, talk about it enough definitely. offline where I think it'd be fun to talk about recorded. Absolutely. Uh, headline five, and this is a good one. MLB tweaks some rules now, and there's more coming in 2020. Do you know any of these the tweaks they made? Are they are they putting the shot clock in? No, that's I don't think that's going to last. That that's already been pulled out of spring training. I uh, think it's one of the best ideas ever because the one reason why baseball bores me to tears is because it takes so long between pitches. Yep. Here's here's a couple of the implementations that'll hit 2019, and I think I actually like all all of them. Number one is a single trade deadline, which I don't know why they didn't have that before. So frustrating yeah. to have the multiple trade deadlines. Frustrating and confusing so confusing yeah <laughs> um they're gonna have an all-star game election day election day yeah i love that who gets to vote uh i think that's a good question i don't know if they've narrowed that down maybe they I, we could probably dig into the article and figure that out but um okay. i i think it's probably going to be one of those things where they pick um they either have a player picket or they have 
you know, kind of like they did in the NBA, which I think is, I think is great. I love the draft. You know, LeBron, Steph, or I like the draft. Giannis. I really like the the players being involved and choosing one another. Mm-hmm. All of us who are professionals in whatever industry know that when your colleagues choose you for something means a lot more. It's one of the highest compliments you could possibly receive. Yep. Because they know exactly what you go through day in, day out to Mm. be successful. And their compliment just means so much more. So when the players vote on something and say, this guy, he, he's special. I trust in it so much more than when the writers vote on something. Mm -hmm. I hate when writers have a vote on anything. Agreed. Totally agree. I think it's a great point. The, the last piece of this, and I think it's the most important uh, – well, there's two other pieces. One, there's going to be a million-dollar bonus for the Home Run Derby winner, and that's going to be implemented this year. So to me, it's like, oh, okay, I already liked watching the Home Run Derby, but now I actually really want to watch it because a million bucks. I mean you would assume those players would probably give the million bucks to a charity or something, or they should, um, unless it's one of those like guys that caught, caught up from the minors you know, and doesn't make any money. But that's Which fun. would be really cool. That would be cool. Um, the the most important change in this is a three batter minimum for pitchers. Wait a second. Three batter minimum for pitchers? No more one-out pitchers being called in the games. Look, they're trying to speed up the game for economic purposes and for just enjoyment purposes. Oh, this, you're this... talking about – oh, that's a new rule. I thought you were still talking about the home run derby. No, sorry. This so, is a new new so... rule. Every pitcher that's called into the game has, has to at least to pitch, pitch to at least three batters. Love it. Wow. Love it. Wow. Yeah. That's huge. Huge. Yep. So um, if all that's been approved yet, not quite sure. It looks like it. they're speaking as if it's been approved, and I'll, we can dig in. Go to ESPN. Check out the article. Go to MLB.com. But, yeah, that's, that's what they got in the tweaks, and that looks pretty interesting to me. That one is actually a really big deal. It is. And is going to change how managers scheme for games, both short-term and long-term. Yeah. I just – the reason I think I'm so surprised is because I know that what the MLB likes to do is propose rules and then test them in the minors before bringing them up to the majors. Mm -hmm. And that just happens to be one that – I don't recall hearing about being tested in the minors, although I kind of assume it has been. Do you know that to be the case? Uh, well, I think that's one of those rules you don't really need to test, right? It's not like it's a, it's not, you're not changing the game flow. You know, so I don't think they, uh, I, I believe they have tested that in the minors, by the way. Uh, but I don't I think, I don't think like why. throwing it in the spring training, I don't think they've done that yet. I understand why you would say that it doesn't need to be tested for those reasons, but I bet you if managers were asked, they sure would like to test it first and kind yep. of figure sure. out, you know, what are the consequences, what are the unintended consequences, scheme-wise, what kind of things do I need to plan for? Yeah. And also, just in terms of personnel, who are my guys – can really make it through three batters, and which of these guys? Well, true, no. but but those are Career. those Sorry. are managerial um, decisions and adjustments sure. that have to be made. Sure. Not necessarily like the player has to adjust to a new rule that's changing the way they play the game. 
you know. Well, except for those players who really, truly only have the stuff for one, two batters and really don't for three. Or those those pitchers who have made a career on only pitching to righties or lefties and now yeah. they're going to have to adjust. Yeah, it, the dynamics of the game would change completely. I, I agree. For I, some yeah. very niche-based pitchers where this game has gone, mm-hmm. they're either going to have to adjust or they might – find themselves worth less. Yeah, totally. And the guys that can That's pitch to both really interesting. <laughs> become a lot more valuable. Absolutely. Right. If you're, you may not have the stuff that that guy has, but if you're more versatile, you're definitely going to be a hotter commodity in this league. Yep. Totally. That kind of change. It's really, it's really far reaching in my opinion for obviously just that one part of the game being pitching. Agreed. All right. We spent way too much time on that. Uh, Oh, that's interesting. It is very interesting. That's really interesting. It'll be interesting to see what that what that actually looks like. Um, okay, last headline. Former U.S. Senator Birch Bay, author of Title IX Law, dies at the age of 91. Uh, I hate to be callous. Um, who? <laughs> you know I'm sorry. You know what Title IX is, right? right. I <laughs> I obviously know what Title IX is. Okay. Um, and I know, you know, it's there's something very important about Title IX and obviously also things that have been very controversial to come out of sure. the implementation of Title IX. I think the guy probably deserves, you know, a certain amount of credit. Um, how long ago, by the way, was Title IX, you know, put, put together, so to speak? I mean, um, when did he do that? 72, I think. Wow. Okay. The seven, seven's in the 70s for sure. <clears throat> I guess I could click I, the link. Obviously, okay. the guy was responsible for something pretty important. Regardless of your opinion on Title IX, it's important. Yep. I'm not saying necessarily you know important for all the right reasons, but it's had enormous impact on the sports world and continues to to this day. Um, so, obviously, accolades to him and yeah, you know, sorry for the loss to the family that you know is grieving his loss. But uh, my only response to that is, "Wow, good job, man! Ninety-one. That's impressive. Ninety-one's <laughs> ninety-one's really impressive. I'll take ninety-one. If you tell me I can live to ninety-one right now, I'll take it. Take it. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. That is impressive. Yeah. But uh, okay, very, cool. Very impressive. Well, we're running up against our time. Um. We there's a couple things we wanted to talk about. Maybe we'll just table it for uh, this weekend. That's fine. We got Prism Optics Select to break down. We're going to break down a comparison between those three, and we wanted to talk about Heritage a little bit more in, in detail. So we've got our agenda forms for our next podcast. I like it. You want to try to shoot for less work mid mid May? <laughs> yeah, three months from now. <laughs> um. Perfect. Great to be back. It was a lot of fun to talk to you again. And obviously I look for I look forward to more consistency and talking to our audiences and it, this this is great. I just, I'm really happy to be doing this again. Well you and I'll I will be back next week. I forgot how much I enjoyed it. Hey, everyone misses you and uh yes, consistency would be really good. And there's a lot of things that we need to be talking about, especially with best time of the year coming up, March Madness next week. 
best time of the year. How many days do you take off to sit in front of the TV all day? Technically take off? Uh, uh, I'm going to say you and I are both. The CBS boss button was one of the greatest inventions of all time. Right? Right? <laughs> oh, my gosh. No. Uh, I just love the fact that you can now do it from home, and you don't have to go to a sports bar to catch all the games. Totally. You can just toggle yeah. between the stations and – that's beautiful. But yeah, that's uh, beautiful. next week, God, let's break down our break bracket next week. We'll talk about Prism Absolutely. Optics Select, and uh, that's a wrap. Episode fifty. That's a wrap. Half a century. We gotta start fifty-one next week. So anyway, have a good weekend. Golden anniversary. That's right. I expect the gift. All right. Later, have brother. a good one. Bye.